This is Marcus Hagens, and you're listening to the Mike Sappho Podcast. What's going on, Coach? Nothing much, man. Thank you for having me on the show. You're not going to hold my friendship with Justin Walker against me, are you? No, man. That's my guy, man. What's cooler, being on a football card or being in Madden? Madden, most definitely. I think every kid grows up um, collecting cards, but once you get old enough to start playing video games, it's definitely the credibility you get by being on Madden and being able to use yourself. So um, I definitely say being on Madden. Well, be honest with me. When you played, did you play with you automatically? Oh, absolutely. And I had to adjust the Raiders. I didn't think they did me right. <laughs> one fifteen. Listen, one fifteen a.m., you end up at Little John's down in Charlottesville. What's your go-to sandwich? Uh... I don't know. I'd probably get uh, some pizza. I probably won't even go to Little John's. I'd probably go get some pizza from Christians. You're crazy. I would go down there just to go to that sandwich place, man. That place was amazing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I like Little John's, but I, I like pizza late night. You're a Virginia guy, stud high school football player. Why UVA? What sold you on UVA? Um, my grandmother had never seen me play, and she told me if I stayed close to home that she would come watch me play. I originally – Signed to go to Indiana to play football and basketball. Okay. And um, when I found out they were going to try to prop 48 me, I went to Fork Union. And in the process of going back to Indiana, my grandma, she I lived with my grandma, and she had never watched me play. She told me if I stayed close to home, she would come watch me play, and that changed everything. So when I got a chance to stay close to home, a couple of my teammates from high school were already at UVA. And when I came on a visit, it just felt like home. So it was a done deal once I came on a visit. Really? So the prospect of playing basketball didn't overwhelm you? You went to UVA? Nah, my grandma was my favorite person, and once she said that, that meant the world to me. So, yeah, I gave up the chance to play basketball and football and stay close to home. And, I mean, it turned out for the better, in my opinion. I mean, the guys I met, you know, my brother right there, Jay Walk, you know, it's just, it's worth it, man. I think it was the best decision I could have made to stay home. Well, it was because I'm the biggest Kentucky basketball fan who ever lived. So if you went to Indiana, I'd have to hate you. I would have like such venom for you. So you made the right choice for our friendship. So don't worry about that. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. <laughs> Listen, you, you enroll at UVA. Who are your roommates down there? Like freshman year, sophomore year? Um, my freshman year was uh, OA, a dude named Ottawa Anderson. Um, second year um, – I had moved off campus and I wasn't supposed to be, but I was living off grounds. I was living with Justin Walker, Stan Norfleet, Angelo Crowell, and B.I. So I had this little, <laughs> you're going to laugh. I didn't even have a room. They had like a closet <laughs> with no windows. <laughs> and I just made it into a bedroom just so I could stay off campus. And the uh, coach didn't even know I was staying off campus, but I was. And I ended up staying with those guys. It was probably my my fun, the most fun I had all the time in college, living with those guys, man. And that's a I solid team. Yeah, that's a solid team to live with. We did. And then third year, I believe it was Elton Brown, uh, Rich Bettison, and Ray Mann were my roommates my third year. And then uh, I can't remember my fourth year. Is Ray Mann, is that that big jack dude? Yeah. Yeah, oh, he's <laughs> a monster, that guy. <laughs> He was like he was the enforcer, man. He was he was an interesting dude to live with, man. That's my dog. We went to high school together though, so that was that was easy money. Where'd the nickname Biscuit come from? Oh man, everybody wants to know. I can't tell you. Oh really? It's like a secret? 
It's a secret. Nobody knows. Only about three people know. I'm going to come down there and get you drunk and I'll find out. Um, <laughs> solid, solid career down in, down there in Charlottesville. Obviously, everyone always like pinpoints the most notable and historic win, 2005 against Florida State. They were ranked fourth in the country. What do you remember most about that game? Man, it was just a good week of practice. And um, Coach was like, we're just going to let it all hang out. We're just going to open it up. We're going to throw the ball around, and we're going to let you be 18. And so the offense was clicking that night. Defense played well. Um, Connor Hughes hit some huge uh, field goals. And it was just a magical night. The crowd was, you know, was sold out. It was a night game. I mean, it was just an awesome night. It was a lot of fun. I remember it was a lot of fun. I remember being really tired after the game. <laughs> I ran around a lot that game, but it was it was worth it. Trivia question. You were 27 for 36, two touchdowns. How many yards did you have? 326. What would you say? It was either 306 or 326. 306, 306. Uh, uh, so, Coach, I read on the Internet, and everything on the Internet is true. Did you meet your wife at the game, or is that is that uh, not true? I didn't meet her at the game, but she did. That was her first football game that she came to, and so she didn't have her ID before the game, and she went to go get her ID just so she could come to the game. And um, she really wasn't impressed by what she saw after the game, but that was wait, the first she, Wait, game. she wasn't impressed? She wasn't impressed at all. Oh, my God, 306, two touchdowns. What do you have to do to impress her, man? I don't know, man. Probably, probably leave straight from there and go travel <laughs> with the basketball team and score 30 the next night. <laughs> but no she she was a hoop star and um she played at uva she won acc championship and so yeah she came to the game but that that didn't impress her though did she cry when uh two years ago when you guys lost to a 16 seed in the ncaa tournament the men's team who <sighs> she was she was hurt for the program because you know she she bleeds orange and blue so that was that was tough for a lot of people not at the the players, but just for the program, you know, because we all root for for the Who's man, and when they lose, we lose, and so it was it was tough, you know, because there was a lot of expectations and hype going into it. But now, as a coach, you understand there's a lot more that that goes into winning games, and so my disappointment was just for the expectations, and I think the the journey that they were set to go on just ended up being cut short. So I think that that was the the toughest part about that. At her peak. You're at UVA. You're playing quarterback. She's balled out winning ACC titles. Who wins the game? You versus her. In basketball? Yes. If we're playing horse, probably her. That's, wow. Uh, but one-on-one, I mean, she can't. The first step is just too quick for her. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But if we if we play a horse, there's, there's no contest. She'll get me. i I got to be honest. That's how we went on our first date. You? Oh, wait. Let me hear about the first date. How would you do it? Because I told her if I beat her in the game of horse that she had to let me take her out. And so she claimed she let me win. And that's how we went out. I was how, just, I think I think my jumper was on that day, so I think she just she caught me on a good day. How long after that was the Florida State win? So you win in Florida State, you beat Florida State, and then how long was your first date? That was probably that was in the summer. So the game probably wasn't until Probably like the middle of the season, like the sixth game of the season. So. Oh, she really wasn't impressed with your game then. <laughs> no, she wasn't. She was. <laughs> she's from Philly, man. She's, she's a tough critic. You ever been out there? Oh yeah, we go all the time. We um, I mean, probably every other holiday we try to get out there. If not, she goes. And then in the summertime, uh, we go to Ocean City, New Jersey, for um, a couple weeks. 
take the kids out there. But yeah, I go to Philly all the time. And, and growing up, you know, one of my best friends is AI. So, mm-hmm. you know, going to Philly was was nothing. We I'd be in Philly all the time, man. Wait, AI, the basketball player? Yeah. Is he really? Yeah, that's one of my best friends. Yeah, that's a solid. You, you might have just answered the question how I end the podcast. We'll get to that in a second. Okay. You, you, you graduate UVA, 2006 mm-hmm. NFL draft comes around. Where were you mm-hmm. watching the draft? I wasn't. I didn't watch it. What, too nervous or you just weren't into it? Uh, a little nervous. And I didn't know, you know, because everybody was saying, like, that was, like, pre-Russell Wilson and, you know, all that stuff. So, you know, Randall Well was, like, the, the closest thing. And they had moved him to, to punt return and wide receiver. So mm-hmm. I hadn't played receiver in almost two years. And that's what I, I worked out as at the Combine. And then on my pro day, I did both. I did receiver and quarterback. So I didn't really think I had a good shot of, getting drafted at a position that I hadn't played in over three years. So I didn't, I didn't really watch it. I didn't, I didn't play in a bowl game after the season. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, I'm, I'm just going to stay away from it. And um I got a call. I think I was with one of my cousins. Yeah. I think I was with one of my cousins and uh unavailable number came through and it was Scott Linehan. And he said, uh how would you like to be a receiver for the St. Louis Rams? I was like, shit, you kidding me? <laughs> <And so, laughs> that's kind of how it happened. And then um, I was in Charlottesville, actually. Okay. And then I drove down to um, Hampton that night, and then my family, you know, kind of had a get-together for me. But I was I was nervous, man. I ain't going to lie to you. Like, I ain't going to sit here and tell you, like, I had this big party planned out and this, that, and the third. I didn't honestly expect to get drafted. So once I did, you know, my mom and them had already kind of had some stuff in the works, and we, I drove down that night and then we had a little get together which was pretty cool so it was a good time your phone rings did you ask what round am i picked in what what pick overall am i or no <laughs> i didn't i just was so i was just happy to get picked man. <laughs> you know what i'm saying like I, it was it's a dream of everybody to get drafted and you know I, I think sometimes people underestimate how hard it is to get drafted and then to get drafted at a position that i really didn't play in college you know it just it was a culmination of a lot of things man a lot of emotions like overcame and you think about all the hard work you put in and, you know, all your teammates to help you get to that point and family members and friends. And it meant a lot. So, you know, I was a little overwhelmed with emotion, but I was definitely grateful and humble. I didn't care if it was the last pick or what round it was. I was just happy to be drafted. It speaks volumes of your athleticism, too. You quarterback, receiver, you don't even play that re- that position and you get drafted there. That's that's nuts. Yeah, man, I'm just, man, I'm, I'm truly thankful and I'm glad that they saw something that really wasn't there on film, you know, consistently over the last two years. But I was grateful for the opportunity. I learned a lot and, um, you know, really thankful for the opportunity to play in the league. I love having athletes on my show and asking them random trivia questions. Who went number one in that draft? Reggie Bush? No, Mario Williams. Oh, I forgot about him. Yeah, he was a beast. <laughs> we, actually, we actually trained together at API. Really? Out of Arizona, yeah. I forgot about him. Yeah, he was a stud. Now listen, you and should NC know that you should know this one. You went one forty four overall. Who went one forty three? Brad Butler. One good job. Offensive tackle to the Lions. I actually had to look it up. And he played at UVA. He did. He did. UVA. That was my guy. He walked away from football, man. He went went into politics. Brad Butler was a really good player. It's crazy when you look at the draft. I went for two. When no, did no, Reggie you, Bush when did Reggie Bush go? I don't know. Probably, he went two. Yeah, he went two overall to the Saints. All right. Okay. All right. It's always, it's always crazy impressive. And obviously, you know, J-Dub knows, so many Virginia guys get dra- got drafted, especially back then, too, when you guys played. 
you looked at every draft. You guys were getting put out like five, six, seven players a year getting drafted. You you don't even take into account to that when you're in practice. But I mean, you look up and you got the Brickashaw going against Chris Cannon. You got Chris Long going against Elton Brown. You got Ahmad Brooks. I mean, you got Heath Miller. I mean, Matt Schaub, Wally Lundy, Alvin Pierman. There was there was a statistic. I don't know how accurate it is, but we played Florida State in 2004. And between both of the two teams, there were 64 players drafted in between the two teams. And I think we had two more draft picks than they did. I mean, there was a lot of Daryl Blackstock. I mean, the the list just goes on and on. It was a lot of dudes. Like, And I think we took it for granted, I think, because we were just around each other all the time and just uh-huh. joking and having a good time and playing football. But I mean, there was a lot of talent on the field. And it is. Like, Virginia, I think people always think, like, academics and, mm-hmm. you know, all this other stuff. But there's a lot of – good football players that go to UVA and then have gone to UVA. So there was a streak, I think, for like 34 years where we had someone drafted until like two or three years ago. So, yeah, we play football at UVA. We we are student athletes. Basketball and football stud. Was NFL always the end game? Like I have to make it there? Was it NFL or bust? I would say probably through high school I thought basketball. Mm-hmm. But um, I had a, a player on my team in AAU named J.J. Riddick. And I realized, <laughs> I realized that he was an NBA player and that I wasn't. And so, um, football became the ticket and I, it, I did. Like, I didn't know how I was going to make it or how I was going to pan out, but I knew like football was like the end all be all. Like I had to, like I said, I used to sit in class and sign my autograph and I just, I, I just felt like I had to make it. And that was always my dream. And I can say I did it. So truthfully, JJ Reddick kind of shot down your NBA dreams. I mean, having him on my team and, you know, like seeing how many people came to watch him play, like after the game, like, you know, you would see all these coaches, like all oh, Coach K, Calipari, like everybody would be there and they would all be talking to him after the game and they'd be like, okay, I get it. You know what I'm saying? And it's only a few of those guys in the AAU circuit that everybody's like dying to have on their team. And, I wasn't one of them, so I was like, <laughs> football is probably going to be my meal ticket. But I, it was cool, though, because two other of my teammates on my AU team ended up playing basketball at UVA. So it was it was a cool deal, man, for all of us to be there together. I'll tell you, uh, Felipe Lopez comes on my show a lot, and he's the one who crushed my Ooh. dreams. I was in, like, seventh or eighth grade, and I was, like, an average player. Like, I was, like, I was super short, too. I was, like, five foot four, and I'm, like, I'm going to go to the league. I'm going to the NBA. And my uh, my pops took me to Rice when he played, and the gym's popping. He dunked three times, and my dad told me he's like, "Listen, you have no chance." Like I was in seventh grade, he's like, "You have no chance. Just give it up." So whenever Felipe comes on, I'm like, "Felipe, you're the one who crushed my NBA dreams." He really did. Yeah. I, Felipe Lopez was I, a bad. He was a bad man. Bad dude, man. Bad dude. St. John's number thirteen. And he wore the cut sleeve shirts. I mean, he was a cool. He went in the cover of Sports Illustrated. That's a famous, iconic cover when he's jumping with the uh, New York skyline and the Statue of Liberty behind it. Yeah, that That was dope. Welcome. What was your welcome to the NFL moment? Ooh, welcome. I would probably say off the field, buying breakfast for the vets. (laughs) How much did it cost you? (laughs) Ooh, man, they probably (laughs) ran me just for breakfast. Was probably like two fifty. Just breakfast at IHOP, like they, and they made me go back, and I was late to the meeting, so I got in trouble for being late to the meeting, and I got the order wrong, so I ended up paying like three hundred dollars at IHOP, and then I had to pay a little fine for being late to the team meeting. So 
That was Coach, off the field. As a rookie, you know, you're a big name on campus at UVA. You get drafted. Now you walk into the Rams locker room. I think Isaac Bruce is there, other players. Mm-hmm. How do you introduce yourself? Because I always – I don't want to ask generic questions like, oh, your first catch. How do you introduce yourself walking in that locker room? You don't, man. Like, I just – I stayed to myself until people said something to me. You know, I didn't want to come off as, like, arrogant or anything like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of like an unspoken word. Like, the veterans will acknowledge you when they're ready. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't try to go in and make friends with everybody. Like, you just kind of stay in your own lane. And then at some point, you know, the veterans will acknowledge you. And I remember, like, everybody was like, yo, don't ever say anything to Ike B, like Isaac Bruce, like, just let mm-hmm. him be. And then I remember, like, in the summer, I was just sitting down eating by myself, and he came and sat down, and he was like, what's up, Rook? And I didn't say anything. And he was like, <laughs> <laughs> he was like, you're not going to speak? And I was like, man, they told me not to say nothing to you. I wouldn't even look at him in his eyes. Like, they told me not to speak to you. <laughs> <laughs> And so finally, he was like, man, when I when I talk to you, you talk back to me. And I was oh, like, all right, bet. And so um, that was my first moment meeting Isaac Bruce, and we became cool ever since then, man. So, yeah, him, Tory Holt, they were, they were really good veterans, man. They would, um, Tory bought me my first, first suit, and then Isaac Bruce brought me a suit after that, too. So just, you know, like that was kind of like the acceptance of, like, mm-hmm. you made it, you know, like you're one of us. And it was a really cool moment for both of those dudes to do that. Besides buying breakfast at IHOP, any good uh, hazing stories? They make you sing, dance, dress in costume, oh, anything? Yeah, we had a, we had a. Hold on, <laughs> so you guys still hear me? Yeah, yeah. joints about to die. So we had a um a rookie show. So this is a true story. Okay. So one of the rookies that was in my class is one of my best friends is John David Washington. Mm-hmm. And so um we had to sing, but he did the scene from Trainer Day. Just like and he sounded just like his dad. So we all had this this big show lined up that we were supposed to do for the rookie show. But once he did the training day scene, like the whole place went crazy and that was the end of the show. Like so Oh, so you got, got off all, the hook. You were off the hook. We were off until like two days later when we were in the cafeteria and everybody was in there and they was like, Rook, give us a song. So you gotta sing in front of everybody and you know, tried to sing a little uh Chris Brown. <laughs> Didn't go too well. <laughs> I want to be where you are. <laughs> he just started going. <laughs> you're, you're tapping in John David, like, jump in, give me another scene from Pops. Like, bro, come on, man, do another scene from Training Day. But I wouldn't trade my experience for the world, man. I, I met a lot of good people and played against a lot of good talent, man. And, you know, I had some moments where you step on the field and you're like, man, that's Ray Lewis. And it was cool, man. It was, it was, I really had a good time in the league. As a young player, you play with the Rams. They were in like a rebuilding mode. Uh, then you go to KC. How do you deal with that as a 21, 22-year-old player? This isn't, you know, you leave home, you go to UVA. That's a big step. Now you're in dorms. Now you're living off campus. Now you're playing for the Rams. Now you're playing for the Chiefs. How do you adjust to that as such a young player? And you just, it becomes different. Like the, the fun is there at first, but then it becomes more of a business because pieces move around and, you know, like it, like I don't think a lot of people understand. Like some days you, you go to the stadium and you're active, like as far as the 53, but they won't announce like the five inactives until like two hours before the game. So some days you walk in and your name's on the board, you're inactive. Sometimes it's not and you're playing. So it's a huge, another part of that that goes along with it. And just learning how to navigate that, learning how to navigate money and family. And it is true. Like, you know, what Big said a long time ago, 
the more money you make, the more problems you see. And, you know, I think it, it money changes people around you as opposed to changing you. And I think that was something you had to learn to get, I had to learn to get used to also. Dumbest first purchase you made. When you look back now, you're like, did I really buy blank? Man, probably those damn 500 DVDs I bought. (laughs) (laughs) My wife gets on me all the time about that. Like, dumbass, you put all those DVDs. (laughs) Um, um, We we try to give them away. I mean, it was was Nobody wants them now anyway. Nobody wants them. Who needs them? I'll, I don't know if you know this. I didn't play in the NFL. I don't know. I know you kept saying by my physique and everything you thought I played. I didn't play in the league, but, and I'm never knocking anyone to play, but you know, your first two seasons, I think Gus Farad and then Thigpen were you, you know, your quarterbacks. You mm-hmm. end up on the Colts on the practice squad originally. You have mm-hmm. Peyton Manning. Are you thinking to yourself, God, just let me get on the field. Cause Peyton Manning will make me look like a superstar. Was that like, how anxious were you like going, seeing Peyton Manning? It was crazy because. The first day that I was getting ready to walk out to practice, he tapped me on my shoulder and he was like, uh, he was like, Hagen's, wahoo wah. He's like, my wife went to UVA. Just wanted to say hello and welcome to Indy. And I was like, man, that was pretty cool, man. And so, um, probably, wow. about, yeah, it was dope. Like I, I, I gained a lot of respect for him. And then probably about, I think earlier, it was either last year, he was down in Charlottesville and had his boys with him. They came to a football game. And I was walking. I didn't even know he was there. And I was walking through the locker room. And he was like, hey. And I was like, Peyton? You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't even think he would remember me. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And just the fact, like, he was one of the smartest people, like, I've, I've been around. And I was only there for a week. But, um, man, you sit around and listen to him in meetings. Like, he is very smart. He runs everything. And every he wants every rep. Not to be selfish, but just because he wants to make sure he gets it right. And. I learned a lot from him and taking notes and just how precise and detailed he was. Like, you got to be on point with your stuff to play with Peyton Manning or he'll expose you. Well, you should have told him you uh, upped your ratings in Madden. Be like, Peyton, I'm a, I'm a 91 now, bro. If you want to just throw me the ball, I'm a, I'm a 91 rating now. <laughs> <laughs> I did catch a couple passes from him in practice. So um, Bullets? Did he, did he just throw absolute darts to you? Not really darts, but man, he was precise, man. I mean, the ball, he like, he would walk it to you, man. Like, he was very good. I, I had a lot of respect for him after, after being Indy for a week. When you, uh, in 2010, uh, when you retired, one, what made you hang up the cleats? And two, no desire to go international or up to Canada, or you, you just knew it was time? <clears throat> I would say I should have. I think my, my ego was like, if it's not the NFL, it's, it's not going to be anything. Looking mm-hmm. back, I wish I had. And two, like I tore my groin like pretty bad, like the tore the, the the muscle off the bone, and that was the first injury I ever sustained where I knew like something was wrong. And um, it was tough, man. It was a tough year for me, like being away from football and not getting any phone calls, and you know just trying to figure out what was next. And you know it was a long year of depression, man, just being without football. So it was it was tough. To, it wasn't like. I came to this decision that I was going to walk away and be done. Like I tried and tried and tried, but it just, it wasn't working. So that was a long year for me, a tough year. Did you enjoy your time in the league? I did. I, I think uh, I felt like I didn't have the career that I wanted, but you know, like my wife always reminds me, like there's more things that I probably could have done, like invested in my career that gave me a better shot. And then you also have to realize too, that everybody doesn't get that opportunity. So whether it ended up the way you want it, 
at least you defied the odds and made it to a place that most people don't make it and most people didn't think you were going to make it. So you kind of got to look at the flip side of it and just be grateful and humble that you even had a chance to be a part of that. And the people that I've met, the things that I've learned have allowed me to, to be the coach that I am, you know, with the guys that I have at the position of receiver. Perfect segue. You couldn't leave football, so you go to uh, Virginia back as like a graduate uh, assistant, and now you're mm-hmm. the wide receiver coach. What exactly does a wide receiver coach do? Because you're getting – if you Google your name and stuff, like you're always considered like ACC stud wide receiver coach. This What exactly does a wide receiver coach do? Uh, basically, I'm responsible for teaching the guys how to line up, um, who to block them on run plays, um, what routes to run how to run them, and then just making sure that they have all the, the tools necessary to, to get open versus press coverage and know how to find openings in, in zone coverage and just, you know, releases, stance and starts, how to catch the ball and just give them a mindset that just makes them feel like they're the baddest MFers on the play. I don't know if I can curse, but just... They can curse. What is it, though, about coaching that you love, like teaching the kids because you know there's different one athlete after the game he wants to step away from it someone like you fully embraces it what makes you just love teaching and like learning the game again and and, uh doing it from a whole nother vantage point now you're not on the field you're on the sidelines now i think i I enjoy watching people learn and develop and like coaching is teaching and so when players are bought in and they listen and they grow and you see them grow through cycles of maturation of starting at at a point and then getting better and better and better and then the greatest validation that you can have as a coach is giving a player something that works. And so when you try to teach something that doesn't work or you don't have answers, you lose credibility as a coach. So watching them go and compete and make plays and come back on the sideline and smile, like that's why you do it. And, you know, kids becoming men and they cry, you know, at the end of the time and say thank you or some of them going to play in the NFL, like, man, that's why you do it. And I genuinely love it. And, you know, it's, it's a big part of who I am. And it took me a while to come to that, that grips. And, you know, my, I believe my, my dream was to make it to the NFL. And I did that. But my purpose now is helping young people. And I feel like I'm fulfilling my purpose. And so it wasn't, it wasn't an easy road to come to understand what my purpose was. But, um, I think I understand it now. And, you know, it was a, like I said, it was a tough year. And I lived in New York with my wife for a year just trying to figure out what was next. And I had no clue. And to be able to come from overcoming what I would say is depression to now having a a full purpose of helping people at a place that gave me an opportunity, it's kind of like full circle, man. And it's it's really gratifying. College football coaching is different. Is this something you want to do, the recruiting, the nonstop grind? You're into that? I wouldn't necessarily say I'm into it, but it's necessary. <laughs> you know, like chasing chasing young 16, 17-year-old dudes around to try to get them to commit to your university. Um, you know, a lot of entitled kids out there, but they, they are the pipeline of your program. And not all kids are like that. And the, the ones that you do come across that are part of a good family or first-generation, you know, kids to make it to college and go on and play and graduate, like, that's why you do it. And that's... That's enough for me to keep going and, you know, continue down the road of college football. It's not easy coaching. You have Joe Reed. You have, was it Jana, Jana, and then DuBose? You have like a trio of studs. How much fun is it coaching those three kids? It it is fun. And, you know, there's a lot of learning curves throughout the years with those guys. But to see those guys, like, trust the process and be really dedicated day in and day out, 
and to know that you you help build them to become to where they are now. A lot of people see the success, but they don't see the the sacrifice, the commitment, the hard work, and you know the failures that go behind the scenes. But those dudes that have done everything I've asked them to do. They they work hard every day, and it's it's fun to watch those guys um, have their their hard work come to fruition in front of people and in front of crowds, and it's cool. It's a real cool deal. You guys are having a hell of a season, seven and three. You're facing Liberty this weekend. If all goes well, I know no coach ever looks ahead, but you look at the gambling law and you guys can look ahead. Eight and three, head into the Commonwealth Clash. Is Tech the team you guys hate the most? Is that your biggest rival? I wouldn't say we hate them the most, but we just got to beat them. You know, because in all honesty, like, I, I could care less about Tech except one day out of the year. Mm-hmm. So, I like, I... I don't follow them. I don't care what they do. You know what I'm saying? It's just like when that one game is on our schedule, we got to beat them. They've beaten us for the last however many years. and we gotta 16. Beat them. Yeah, it's been a lot. It's been a lot. So, I, I mean, honestly, I don't hate them. I just I only have to deal with them once out of 365 days of the year. And this year, we got to beat them. If we want to get to where we want to go to take over the state, mm-hmm. win the Coastal, win the ACC, we got to beat them. And whether we hate them or not, we got to beat them. So. When you were playing down in Virginia, were there mock drafts or it wasn't as accessible or available as it is now? Uh, even if it was, I don't know if I really paid attention to it. And, you know, we all played Madden and, you know, we used to have our franchise seasons and all that stuff, make up our teams and stuff and be general managers. But I, I don't really, I'd be lying if I said I remember looking at a lot of mock drafts when I was in school. Like, I don't think I, I really followed that that much. Did you ever check a mock 2020 bowl projection site? I have not. I have well, not. I, I just did, and I'll tell you what you guys are, are slotted. <laughs> Orange Bowl, December 30th against Alabama. That It just came out today. That's the mock. You guys playing in the Orange Bowl, December 30th. They have you guys as 9-3, so they're assuming two more wins against Alabama. Would you take that? I'd take it all day. Like, I... Anybody tell you, man, I don't care. Like, I, I don't fear anybody. And that's not just, like, cliche. Like, if, if people are considered the best, I want to go against them and see where we stand, see where my guys stand. So, yeah, it, whoever. Like, the, it's never about who we play. It's always about us. I do believe that. So, wherever we end up, wherever we, whoever we play, we'll line up and we'll go, we'll go against them. I think you're going to give a perfect answer because you played, like you said, you played and now you coach. I just <laughs> mentioned Alabama. Tua got hurt immediately social media erupts. Why isn't this guy getting paid? This is why you pay players, blah, blah, blah. You are a player now. Uh, you are a player. You're a coach now. What are your thoughts? Not what you need to happen. What are your thoughts on paying players, and how can that be possible? Because I'll tell you this, as a fan of Kentucky, I see these superstar kids coming in, one and done. Okay, I, I see them getting paid because I'm wearing Kentucky shorts right now. Names are on the jerseys, blah, blah, blah. But then you might get a team like – um. Northwestern, I'll use a normal team, who might not get the superstar studs. How do you go about paying an athlete, and should they be paid? I don't know. I think it, it kind of gets murky because then how do you justify paying these players that are marquee players that and mm-hmm. these players that might need the same thing, but like you say, they might not be as marketable or might not be selling as much merchandise. So I think, to me, like that was always the the carrot like that, that drove – dudes in college like they wanted to get paid so they wanted to make it to the next level so I think if you want to keep um I mean I, I can't speak how every program is run but I think mm-hmm. if you want to try to keep it as level as possible then you don't pay the players I think with the money that they're getting now with the 
the cost of attendance, um, you know, stipends and, you know, government funding. I think most most people, even coming from, you know, lower social economic backgrounds like I did myself, I think there's enough funding to, to make sure guys have enough to survive in college. Now, to live lavish and buy fake diamond chains and, you know, cars and all this other stuff, no, nah, I would say that that's what the money is for. But to get by and make sure you can eat and have clothes and make sure maybe your family has a little bit of money if you don't come from much. But I think when you start, how do you equate that skill to say these should be paid that, they should be paid that. And, oh, they're on ESPN all the time and they're selling top five jerseys at Nike. So, yeah, let's pay them. I I would say to me to try to keep it level. Just don't pay them and let them be motivated to go make it to the league to get paid where – that is the ultimate goal. Two serious, quick discussions I want to have with you. The one's corny, CTE, concussions. Would, have, would you ever let your kids play? Oh, man, they want to play right now. I would. I had this conversation with one of my teammates, um, Heath Miller, and, you know, my first thought was no. But then he said, what if people took football away from us and look how much it meant to us? And so if that's something that they are really passionate about and, um, understand like all the things that could come with it, then I won't hold them back. But I want them to be upset that they're not playing and not just that they're playing because I played it or people that they're around have played it. Or I want them to really want to play it. And if they want to, then I won't stop them from playing. Now, a real serious thing now, and I never talk politics on the show, so we're not going to talk politics. It's ridiculous and it's a hole that no matter what you say, half the people are going to hate you anyway. That's true. It's so crazy what's going on in this country. And when I saw what was going on in Charlottesville, it's going to sound mm-hmm. so corny. It really broke my heart. I love that. I went down there. I drank. I partied. I slept around with so many people down in Charlottesville. I love that place so much. I jumped on that flight from Newark to Philly to Charlottesville like 50 times. As a coach, and, and you know, we're still young dudes. As a coach, how do you keep your emotions in check when you're talking to a team of white, black, Spanish, Asian players and be like, listen, look what's going on in our city. How do you talk to somebody about that Like, and keep your emotions in check? I think that's the cool thing about the team. Like, you don't see color. And, you know, that's you wish the world was more like sports teams because once you're in a locker room, we all just won, whether white, black, Spanish, Asian, it doesn't matter, ethnicity or religion or socioeconomic background like we're all the same I think that's the cool thing about being a team and so when things like that happen it's not easy to say it doesn't upset you or it doesn't bother you but for me to go play the front line and vent and you know express my hate and my rage then I'm no different than those people so being a good example for the younger generation of of players to make sure that they understand that it's okay to be upset. It's okay to, to feel a certain way, but to, to hit violence with violence, nobody wins. And, you know, a lot of those people, when, when you're around ignorant people, like there is no winner, you know, like you can argue in the, you know, till you blue in the face of people, you can fight them, but you're not going to win. So just trying to teach those guys how to channel that anger and that frustration and let them know it's okay to be upset. Like, it's that's a natural feeling. But to go down there and get involved with those people and fight, and that's not the answer. So I think our team did a really good job of coming together. Uh, we took a picture together on the steps to, to try to show solidarity and, you know, brotherhood. And um, it was tough. It was a tough time. But I think the, the guys did a really good job of coming together and standing as one. All right. We did this for 35 minutes. Give me like a few more minutes of your time. We'll do a few quick hits before you go. You ready? 
Got it. Any memorabilia you kept throughout your playing days? Uh, yeah, I got, I have my Rams jersey, and for the short time that I was in Washington, I have that jersey as well. Ever in awe of a player like, holy shit, I'm on the field with blank. Ray Lewis. First thought when you see him, number 52, what's the first thought when you see that man? Exactly what you just said. <laughs> That's Ray Lewis. And the play had snapped, and I was just kind of like in awe still. Because he, he, we played him in Baltimore, and he came out, did his pregame and all that stuff. Oh. So it was just like, wow. Like, I use this dude on Madden all the time, you know. <laughs> He's here. Him, Ed Reed. It was it was crazy, man. It was that was the first game I started too in the NFL. So that was that was a crazy day. But it was fun though. It was fun. Ever ask a player for an autograph? Never. Now, do you regret that as you're a little older? Nah, because um, it was funny. Like I told you, AI is one of my best friends, and so I, I always felt like he was the coolest dude to me. So I felt like him being my guy, like it would be, why would I ask anybody else? Not, not disrespectfully, but like, I just felt like that was my guy. So, mm -hmm. you know, I felt like I, I didn't need to ask anybody else. I respected a lot of people, but I just, and I also wasn't in the autographs, but now for my kids, like, you know, LeBron came to Charlottesville last year for a basketball game and they wanted to meet him. So I called AI. I was like, look, man, LeBron's in town. He hung up the phone he called me back and said, Maverick Carter's going to call you and bring the boys down so he can meet him. So stuff like that, like I feel like now I'm more of that for my kids than I ever was of myself. So, um, yeah, I, I wasn't a big autograph guy. And they're not either, but they do like people that they look up to. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I uh, Since I've been doing the show now, I'm not an autograph guy. Like if you like, oh, here's a Derek Jeter jersey, uh, it means nothing to me. But whoever comes on the show, like I just had on an astronaut, so he sent me up like a NASA thing signed. So anyone who comes on my show, I'll get something cool signed just to commemorate the show. But I'm not that's an dope. autograph. Yeah, I'm more of a picture guy. Picture guy's way better. Yeah, I, that's dope. I agree with that. Where in New York did you live when you came up here with your with your girl? The Bronx. Favorite hangout in New York. Ooh, favorite hangout in New York. Like food wise? Food and club bar wise. <clears throat> Man, I cannot think of the little there was a little spot right up the road. It was uh I think it was called Riverside. Okay. Oh yeah, Riverside's a nice neighborhood. Yeah, so we it was a it was a little bar and grill right there that me and her used to always eat all the time. So I would probably say Riverside Grill. Did you ever walk up to Arthur Avenue and crush that Italian food up there? Uh Oh, you're crazy. You're crazy. There's a pizza place like right a, right across um what was the name of that school? Uh that uh, uh, uh Puff Sons went uh, uh Is George Washington Is it George Washington High School? Mm mm. If you said it I would I would remember it. But it was in the private school league. It was um does it start with a D? Just you know, just jump in. Like St. Francis Man. Prep. St. Fa Francis like Prep. Forest Man, Riverdale. Is it date? It's not. Um... Regardless, there was a good pizza spot over there. It was. It was the, the pizza was really good. Me and my wife loved that spot. After the games this year, you see uh, players ask other guys to switch jerseys. I mm -hmm. personally don't love it because I kind of feel like during the game you want to kill somebody, then after the game you got to be cool. But I know it's a business, and these guys are friends. 
Would you ever feel like you're in the league for the second year? Would you ever ask another player for a jersey or you weren't on that level yet? I know it wasn't happening back when you played. I think it depends. Like if it's like your homeboy, yeah. I think there's certain guys that probably you got to get a level. You have to get to that level to um, be accepted to be able to ask that. Because I think that there's, you know, like if there's a superstar in my position and I'm like the third receiver and then the superstar on the other team, like I don't <laughs> think I can go cut line and be like, yo, you want to trade jerseys? Those two dudes are probably going to do it. So I would, I think there's a, 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 a quiet respect of how you can do it. But if I, if I was playing now, like with kids, I would do it because maybe they might like a player that I'm going against. But for me personally, I, I'm not into that, but for them, I would do it for them. Unfortunately, we share this bond. We have a close friend, Justin Walker. I want one good Justin Virginia story. Ooh, man, I, I got so many, man. We, I mean, Jay Walk, I, I, I came home with Jay Walk up in New York one time. Um, man, he, I don't want to give too much away, but, um, I mean, just living with Jay Walk every day was a cool thing, man. And, um, he had a, the, the green, was it the CRVX? Uh, <laughs> I got the memory, man. Um, and I mean, he, he was, the one thing I will say without memories about specific stories, like if he had it, like you had it, like he would give you the shirt off his back. He was down for you. Like if something popped off, he would be the first one in the front line. And he was just always fun to hang around, man. And, you know, I, I really appreciated my time um, with Jay Walk. And he he had the scoop on, on the line wire. So oh, yeah. <laughs> he used to go back there and burn CDs. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I, one day out the blue, man, he just came home and was like, yo, yo, here goes some CDs. And he had bought, like, a stack of, like, burn CDs. And, you know what I'm saying? Like, that was my – he didn't have to do that. You know what I'm saying? That's my dog, man. I, I love that dude for life, man. So, yeah, that, that's my brother, man. It's my big homie. I think I know the answer to this, but here's how I play the game. You and I, so I usually do this uh, show, this famous bar in New York, Jack Dempsey's, gives me my own floor. And me and the guests will just drink the whole time, do the show. And uh, at the end of the show, I always ask everybody, who's the coolest dude in your phone that if you texted them, they would text you right back? And I think I know the answer, but who's your answer? Uh, Jay Walk's probably one of them. That's the worst answer I've ever heard in my life. Um, outside has, of that, it has to be AI, though, right? He's a little slow to get back to you sometimes, but if you Facetime him, he'll pick up almost like every single time. And, so, and now, here's why. Here's why we messed up. I'll tell you this. So yeah. I had um, I'll name drop two real quick. I had Rob O'Neill on, the dude who killed Bin Laden. He comes on all the time. I got him wow. plastered on the show. And he got he called Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen called in, so that was a that was a huge get. And are you a boxing guy? I know a little bit. I, I'm not a historian boxer. All right, so I had Patty Barnes on. He's an Irish boxer, and we're doing a podcast. And he called uh, Anthony Joshua. He was the heavyweight champ in the world. Joshua doesn't pick up. We finish the podcast. As we're walking down the stairs, his phone rings. It's Joshua. I'm like, I tried to run and get the podcast stuff jammed up. So I'm so pissed. <laughs> If, if I would have known, like, I wish I could have been in person. I, I, he definitely would have done it. Oh, well, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do it again. When, the truth, either when you link up with Justin or when you go down to Jersey Shore, I live an hour away. My, my mom lives down to Jersey Shore. We'll link up and do it live, for real. Oh, seriously, like, that would be dope this summer, man. So we, we normally go down, like, during the 4th of July, like, right before and a little bit after. 
So if you're around them, and I love to catch up. No, I'm serious. I'm, I'll definitely come down. I'll bring a, a bunch of drinks. I'll bring some good New York pizza. We'll get Marukas down the Jersey Shore. I'm serious. I'll bring you. Here's what I'll bring, Coach. You ready? I promise you this. I'll bring Lombardi's. It's the first ever pizza place in America. I'll bring a pie from there. And Maruka's, the best pie down the shore. We'll FaceTime Justin, and we'll do another show down there, all right? That sounds like a plan to me. One, your haircut looks great. Two, I know it's 10 o'clock. It's 11 o'clock at night. I appreciate you uh, doing this. This was an absolute blast, Coach. I've been dying to have you on, and I never want to ask Justin. I'll tell you this last thing. I started the podcast like eight years ago before anyone even podcasted, and I would just like write to everyone, and Justin's like, I'll get you candy. I'm like, okay, and I think he just came off the championship. And he was like my fifth guest. So I had on like two wrestlers, uh, a basketball player, and Tim Couch from Kentucky. And Canty comes on. Then he gets me Shab. And then when I start emailing other people, I'm like, I just had Canty on. I just had Shab. I sounded like I was a big shot. I had like 11 listeners. And it was me downloading 10 times and like my mom. Justin wouldn't even listen. He's like, I'm not downloading. I'm not giving you props because he's such a bad friend. <laughs> but but it, comes, it comes full circle now. And I've been wanting to get you on. So I appreciate you coming on. Good luck this weekend. This was a fucking blast, man. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to this summer. You got my word. Ocean City, me and you, we're going to make it happen. Oh, I know we are. Listen, good luck this weekend, for real, all right? Appreciate it, bro. Y'all have a good night, man. Coach, an absolute pleasure. I'll talk to you soon, my friend. All right, peace, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks, brother. Bye.